0: Hello there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus, or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast.
1: Hello, Sebastian. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. You're probably best known as the founder 20 years ago, isn't it, of uh, Pucker Herbs. Uh, it's now a rapidly growing global provider of teas and supplements around the world with the aim to reconnect people to the power of organic plants so as to lead healthier and happier lives. However, you've also been a practitioner for longstanding, and notwithstanding all the work with Pucker, you've moved on to create the Herbal Alliance to bring together the practitioner associations uh, and help them to find their common voice. And, of course, uh, this Herbal Reality, another voice for herbal medicine, uh, where we want to bring the power and the wonder of herbs and plants to the wider world. So, you know, we all have dreams. We all have wonderful things we would like to do. I think most of us would be very impressed by how you've managed to convert some of those dreams into realities in the way that you have. So the obvious question I have is what inspires you, what drives you on? Where was this love of herbs uh, coming from? Can you tell us more about where this passion began?
2: Thanks, Simon. And great to be having a chance to chat with you. Of course, we've known each other for many years already. So it's really nice to have a chance to talk about some other things than we normally do. Um, I mean, ultimately, it has to come from a a love of nature and a love of people, really. You know, there wasn't a sudden sort of road to Damascus moment where I was awoken with a desire to work as a herbalist and in healing and in bringing people and plants together. But it was a, a step by step Journey of different experiences along the way, some of them to do with uh, me getting ill and not being able
1: to sort myself out it um, was just a long time back in it uh, was yeah. this India that I had? here yeah. yeah, probably um
2: sort of acute things in India that you could quickly treat with some herbs, you know, the ubiquitous deli belly, and I once had an upset tummy, I didn't really know what to do. I met an Ayurvedic doctor and he gave me some, you know, very simple herbs of, um, it was a licorice, uh, amla and shatavari. That's slightly surprisingly, but we can talk about that detail a bit later. And, um, you know, so experiencing the simple benefits of some herbs, um, also getting interested in a cooking and noticing how, when I ate different foods, how it made me feel differently. I also developed uh, psoriasis when I was much younger and was exposed to the conventional medical system, if you like, in a very direct way, very helpful. Lots of dermatologists were. Um, It was a real eye-opener to me of the difference between sort of suppression of a pathology or the internal uh, milieu, if you like, the internal environment that you're expressing. And Was this when you were very young? So I assume, um, more I mean... as a teenager, I got that actually. More just yeah. a young okay. teenager, yeah, yeah a young teenager, and then through, you know it not being able to be cured as that you know there isn't necessarily a cure with conventional medicine, and, and just being interested in what I could do to help, and you know it was, a, it was a time in my life when I I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I got more and more interested in how, as I was saying, you know how our diet affects our health, how our exercise and our lifestyle affects our health and as i started to discover ayurveda and traditional herbalism i was astounded simon that i didn't know these things i'd had a very fortunate education i've got you know lots of exposure through different family members to all sorts of things in life i literally didn't know anything about natural medicine and i i i just couldn't believe that i'd ended up in this position as a young man without really knowing how to look after myself and i and as i went on the journey of studying yoga getting more exposed to my senses and feelings and noticing how refinement of my senses enhanced my experience of life, I, I then dove into the principles of Ayurveda, I suppose was my first love, if you like, in, in herbalism, and started to realise that there's another language for describing our health and there's another way of feeling, you know, to a limited degree, but empowered about what we can do to look after our health. So it was a combination of some direct suffering, uh, some personal experience of getting better, but also meeting some inspiring teachers along the way that have really, you know, guided my my, my direction. And then as soon as I started doing some simple self care and um, starting to help a few people around me, I, you know, I saw some dramatic recoveries in people. When I was, I was traveling in India, I'd be in a village, you know, one or two days walk from the nearest road, there'd be no hospital, it'd be, you know, this was 30 or so years ago, you know, there was very little medicines around there. And some simple poultices I've made for people with bad infections and, you know, poultice of like neem leaf and turmeric and garlic, you know, things that were at hand that you could pull out, if not out of your kitchen cupboard, out of your
1: local garden.
2: Seeing dramatic improvements. So
1: you're already already being a practitioner, even at that point.
2: Well, this is probably a few years on from when I started experimenting on myself, you could say, or using herbs myself or seeing clinicians to treat myself. Maybe that was sort of three or four years afterwards. Yeah, in sort of desperandum, really. It was only because there was nothing else there. I wouldn't normally have done that, but... Just you start to see benefits in other people, and I was like, "Well, look, this is if if it's this powerful with my limited knowledge, what could happen if I studied these amazing ancient systems and learned how to share and you know, use some of those insights?" And so, yeah, I'd had this sort of realization. It was a, a coalescing of my previous experiences, where I was like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love to spend my life committed and dedicated to helping connect people and plants and their health."
1: To step back a little from that, I mean, most people's exposure to Ayurvedic and Indian influences is through yoga and through that, that sort of uh, entry point. Did you have that start or, uh, or was there a switch through to pl- herbs from that or did you go into herbs first and uh, hit the Ayurveda button later? They,
2: they ran pretty concurrently because I spent some time living with some of the Sadhus, holy men in India, really, and and the the the, the parallel of yoga and ayurveda, self care, they they run, uh, they run together yeah. really. And within yoga, there is a great tradition of internal cleansing and rejuvenation and dietary advice as well. So they, it, it was pretty much in in parallel. And you know, I think it was an awakening to the wonder of nature as well. Dargley Simon, you know, there was this opening as a young man out of my education in a way and. I hadn't had any formative spiritual experiences, if you want to put it like that. And um, I'm not claiming anything magnificent either, but just an, an awareness of this—you're a part of this greater vitality. And I got very interested in this relationship between the vitality that I saw in nature and the articulation of that in Ayurveda. So, starting to understand some of the energetics, and that—and that just really appealed to me. You know, I'm no—I'm no bio physicist
1: or, or you know, biochemist in that sense so this was your first exposure to health questions was through this experience or these experiences
2: it was really before that you know it always been my uh, so you'd my be mother. a victim yes yeah uh, <laughs> i've been <laughs> taken down to the the doctor in a way so um yeah. And it was um, great. And, you know, people were obviously, doctors obviously showing all their care and compassion to look after me as best they could. But it was a disempowered situation. I mean, it wasn't that I was being educated to go, oh, if you feel hot, do this or you feel pain here, do that. It wasn't sort of instilled. Mm -hmm. And it was a. You know, it was a much more sort of top down approach, which obviously we know is needed sometimes in, in medical care and in, in all education, in all care, uh, particularly with children, they sometimes need to have that top down care. But I, I found the approach of Ayurveda just very, just very clear, very engaging and just very informative, really. And I just thought this is common sense and I, you know, I can learn this and then I could share a bit of it.
1: Well, you did you did go and learn because uh, it's it's a, it's hard work digging to uh, learn the uh, materia medica, um, the, the the actions of the plants, and uh, from your book Ayurvedic Medicine, it looks as though you've absorbed or at least written down uh, quite a lot of material. So you must have taken quite a lot of time out simply studying.
2: Yes, well, another part of the story is that when well, I went to university, I studied Hindi and Indian religion. So in this formative time, if you like, when I'm exploring India and yoga and culture there, I also studied Hindi. And that, although I don't uh, know Sanskrit particularly well, that enabled me to access lots of the the text and the, at least to recognize the names of the herbs. And so I, I found that when I was studying Ayurveda, there wasn't a particularly easy way of accessing lots of knowledge about the plants. It's sort of
1: scattered throughout the text and under various translations the impression I've had in looking at myself is that a lot of it was sort of adulterated or uh, polluted by the, presumably by the Raj, you know, the the English influence on the original cultures. And so you must have had quite hard work finding sources of the information rather than those that have been caricatured in one way or another to make it uh, agreeable to an English-speaking audience. Yeah,
2: well, there are quite a few tra- uh, translations of important texts um, like Madhuvinadana, Peshaja Rupnavali, there are these sort of important texts that summarise uh, some of the earlier Ayurvedic texts, Charaka So I did rely quite heavily on those. But I'm, you know, I'm a real, I'm a really eclectic. I've got such an eclectic background in in herbalism. The skill I've got is drawing lots of information together. I, you know, I don't have a particularly strong expertise in in one area, but I'm I'm quite. That's something I enjoy doing—that sort of research work to amalgamate and draw draw information together. And so, because um, in my herbal studies, I studied my the first herbal course. I really did more formally outside India was with uh, Tierras Mike and Leslie Tierra and their their work on planetary herbology. And so, you know, that gave me quite a big background into Western herbalism and, 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 a, and a dabbling in Chinese herbal medicine. And so, it gave me this approach to writing that book on ayurvedic medicine that I could draw together a way of presenting a monograph that was perhaps more sort of cohesive than you might find in an ayurvedic text where there's there's, there's this very specific
1: sort of ayurvedic approach and when when you were when you were looking at these different herbal traditions did you find common ground did you see re, did you recognize similar <sighs> approaches I mean, that was one of the brilliant things. You're like, ah,
2: oh, everyone uses licorice around the world. And it ah, oh, it's called the same if you translate the Latin or you translate the Sanskrit or you translate the Chinese. It all means sweet root. And, you know, it's fairly obvious in a way. But you find these anthropological and ethnobotanical links across the world, which I know the evidence base for herbalism is, maybe we'll get onto that at some point, you know, it's potentially questioned. But if you look around the world and you see how plants are used in a similar way in different traditions, you recognise that even in a, though there may not have been direct communication, there is a there is a knowledge about how those plants work. I mean there's so many examples dandelion and fennel, mint, you know, there are lots of plants, mother that are
1: used in all traditions around the world, or many of them, in a similar way. So, so and when you and when you get to those common insights, don't you get a sense that that is getting close to the heart of the matter. That's where the power of the plants really comes through because they manifested themselves in the same way to many different cultures
2: yes it's like they've, they've got a, a character a personality and that manifests you know around the world in the same way in a way you know different cultures observed how to use the plants in the same way and i i think that really gets down to the the heart of how plants work in us really and and how we can take advantage of their evolutionary protection and their their evolutionary adaptive skills we we can take advantage of that for boosting our own health in a in a very accessible and a very sustainable way and that's that's something that really touched me along the journey as i started to see that you know i think there are there are materia medica in in china where in you know 1000 AD 50% of the herbs are from india you know, so there is this great cultural exchange going on, and 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 the other ways as well. Of course, many herbs in China entering Ayurveda, and then coming into, you know, through the Avicenna and the the tradition in in uh, North Africa, uh, coming into Europe basically. So there is this great crossover of knowledge, and I I see the, you know, on a macro level, I don't see any difference between the the traditions of of medicine around the world. I see it as humanity's answer to relieving suffering in our fellow friends and uh, family and citizens and, and i think they've just taken
1: a slightly different approach it's something that I, th- I i share with you i think that that there is a common herbal uh experience that in different ways we share but it's the antidote to the view that herbs are all you know fragmented there's that and the other what people think they are and you know that they, there's no substance to them i think what you're talking about does sound like substance to me
2: yeah, I mean, there's a historical continuum, isn't there, of usage yeah. of some plants in the same way for some documented hundreds, if not thousands, of years in some cases, and you can see that now as you get plants like, you know, ashwagandha or ginseng, which may have perhaps been more localized originally in their usage, but you can see their their, their benefits are appreciated around the world as they become globally popular. So, I think there's a there's a there's a sort of two way street to
1: it. So let's pick up the story. You've 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 got your passions now. You've been doing your homework and building up your experience and knowledge. When was the book put together? Over how, what sort of period of time, and particularly in relation to the Pucker story? I think it came out soon after Pucker was founded, wasn't it? Yeah. I'd been...
2: So we set Pucker up in uh, 2001, August of 2001. And... For a few years before that, I'd been working on an organic farm, growing herbs in the UK and and studying to be a herbalist uh, through this uh, planetary herbology course. And during that time, you know, Ayurveda was always my my first love, as I was saying, and so I was always carrying on some research in the background. So it was a work of about five or six years. And as I was starting Pucker, the first couple of years before we actually formed the company you know was trying to find the plants of course we didn't have anything to sell yet so i was spending time traveling around india trying to find some growers quite honestly that um could grow to the standards we wanted and in that
1: time i i would be be doing lots of research and writing so the formation of pucker with tim which you all learned about the advertisement and the paper and so on and um but were you already planning that before you met Tim? I mean, were you already beginning to look for plants that you could bring into the country? Or was, yes, was because, it the Tim meeting? No, it, it was actually prior to
2: that because I couldn't get good Ayurvedic herbs in my practice that I wanted to have. And so I actually went out to India and looked for some ashwagandha growers and things like that, you know, trifola, et cetera, and started to bring some herbs back and sold, you know, 25 kilos here or 50 kilos here but you know it wasn't done with the great traceability and uh, the whole organic and the, the whole lineage that we've set up with pucker so there was i had some experience in in growing herbs before of course and um but then when we were really focused on what we were going to do with bringing more more herbs in for teas and supplements and making it more available uh that's
1: when we went out and we found more organic and fair trade growers that way so where, where did the organic come in? You said at the beginning it wasn't the, f- the first thing, but when, when did you cleave to organic as part of the story? I mean,
2: that's, you know, a significant part of my journey because of how it really relates to health and the land and the ecosystem and that the, we're an extension of the whole ecosystem. And that, I, was really, I got really inspired by uh, someone called Mike Brook who set up Uh, originally a business called Hamilton Herbs that's now the Organic Herb Trading Company and I actually when I'd got back from India and I was starting to study this herbal course I um, wanted to also you know I was 25 or so so I I needed a job as well and I I wanted to work on the land with plants I didn't want to just be in college and so I, I rang up out of the yellow pages, actually, uh, which is the directory, you know, in the old days for finding where someone's number was. And I rang Mike up and said, you know, have you got any work? And he had a woofing scheme, this welcome workers on uh, organic farm scheme. And he gave me a job. I went down and on 35 quid a week or whatever it was, I lived in a caravan on the land and, uh, you know, Mike, is uh, one of the pioneers of organic herbs in the world, was the first person to bring in organic herbs into the UK, set up whole value chains, and they, they still are you know leaders in the ethical supply of herbs today. And it was a very formative time in my life. So I was, the, the land hadn't been turned over yet, they had just moved there. They had a, I don't know, 20 odd acres, but they had just had a two acre plot for growing various herbs. So I was one of the gardeners turning over the land, making the beds, learning how to, you know, divide roots of skullcap and plant echinacea seeds and all of that so that was very educational and they had a warehouse as well so i was learning i got to see i don't know they had about 300 species of herbs i think so i got to see all the raw materials and and what they would actually look like so that was also part of my sort of early pharmacogeny if you like and my study of the of the sort of drug form of plants
1: i can see a podcast with mike coming along because i mean that would be another story wouldn't it, as to how Uh, he got to that Place, Martin, yeah. Great to speak to.
2: Yes. And, um, you know, he was already committed to the organic movement and that uh, sort of I, I joined the joined the train, really. And mm. I think there's a very important paradigm uh, comparison here with modern medicine and should we call it traditional herbal medicine and modern farming? And should we call it traditional organic farming in in the sense of how herbalism and organic farming really focus on. You know, nurturing the whole system. There is that belief of, or view of prevention and um, supporting the ecology, the microbiome uh, of the soil as well as the digestive system, if you like. And I think there's this powerful paradigm analogy there that we we want to work with more than against. So I think there's a there's a possibility of exploring how. Herbalism and organic farming can become a greater part of society's paradigm for how we care for our health of course modern medicine modern agriculture have grown out of many needs to alleviate suffering alleviate hunger and, and you know there are many advantages and expertise there but we we know that modern farming's causing a major you know is a major contributor to biodiversity loss and deforestation and also we think that there may be implications on the microbiome from pesticides etc and so i you know, I got very inspired by the organic view of it being a circular approach. Uh, you know, you, you you put back in what you take out, you you mitigate risk early on, you look for prevention and diversity in your whole ecosystem. And I I've taken those principles into my clinical practice. I mean, you know, for me how herbalism works is just an extension of how nature works. And so having the privilege of that being a lifelong focus and meditation, if you like, is something that I will, yeah, always
1: cherish. So so that's how I got into organic. And uh, privileged to have joined the Pucker team in the last five years and can confirm that those, that notion of the three biomes, you know, where we support all these living systems equally still is the core passion, the core theme in the Pucker thinking. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, come back to what I was saying earlier, you know, unlike many of us, you have a dream or dreams and then see it through. And I'm just wondering what uh, the demands of getting pucker up and running to see those original ideas uh, manifested what they did to your energies and your core loves of herbs how, how did the reality of pucker uh, work for you um, i mean it's just been so
2: educational simon you know I, it, it's been so formative and uh, the whole herbal industry is so collaborative and um yeah it's been it's been eye-opening as well, of course, because you see that the scale that it's at, the impact that the herbal harvesting has on the wild, um, some of the disparities in, in wages and standards and quality. So so it's been, been truly eye-opening in that sense. You know, we, we really had a drive to quality, I suppose. It was that, that insight that herbalism and, and health aspires to, really. And maybe maybe it came from my interest in yoga and that there was a sort of possibility of human evolution and you could you could enhance your potential in a way um but i i just felt there was a strong need for the tradition to be respected and i didn't think what was on the shelves was doing that i know that might sound a bit arrogant and i don't mean to be arrogant i know lots of people were trying to do good things but you know back at the in the 1990s you know, all the herbal tea on the shelf was perhaps not high grade. It was just normal food grade herbs. You know, you know, ninety nine percent of it wouldn't have been organic. You know, so we were we were early adopters in a way of that push to try and raise the profile of quality in herbalism. That you know, there'd been the Renaissance, should we say, coming out of the sixties and seventies, and many of the our colleagues, inspiring colleagues, particularly out of America. And the, and the UK had really sort of given rebirth, I think, to the herbal practice. But I think the quality of the herbal side was lagging behind at that point. And that really needed a push. And with Pucker, I wanted to make sure that whatever we served to anybody was something that I'd want to have myself and I'd want my family or my or my patients to have. And so that was a very big journey for me looking at quality standards and really understanding how there is a difference in food grade herbs or pharmacopoeil grade herbs or practitioner grade herbs, you know, there are, there are, there are ranges of everything. And it really showed me how the deeper your relationship with the source of things, the, the, the greater, the reward is in a way because you have built up this relationship with people. They, they understand your needs. You can understand their needs. And, if you're lucky you become friends you certainly get some journeys you know some adventures that you you have shared together so you know that's put us in incredibly good stead where we've really got this you know global network of suppliers farmers that are part of our value chain now so that all that organic growing side has been really valuable but you know as you know most of the herbs in the world by species come out of the wild, Simon, and about 25% by volume. So millions and millions of kilos come out of the wild. And one of the things that's been inspiring for me at Pucker is that ability for us to grow and stretch ourselves as the whole industry grows and stretches. And it's been one of the great honours in my life to contribute to the Fair Wild movement. And Fair Wild is a standard that was uh, set up through a collaboration across uh, various NGOs, such as uh, uh, Traffic and WWF, and it is a standard that looks at how you can get herbs out of the wild sustainably, where the collectors and the, the, the landowners, the community owners of the land also get paid. And it's a very equitable way of ensuring quality and social fairness. And I'm just so yeah pleased that we can contribute to this scheme, because it is a way of ensuring that however big herbalism becomes, which is we we need it to be a lot bigger to serve human health more effectively, that in that process, we are also looking after the, the land, the nature, the ecosystems, the plants come from. So we've had all sorts of fun traveling around projects to harvest licorice and climbing up trees to get lime flower and elderberries and stinging ourselves while harvesting nettles So, um, you know, there are are large numbers of people, I don't actually know what it is, but it will be, you know, some millions of people that are uh, involved in wild harvesting herbs from the wild and depend on it for a large percentage of their income. And I think it's incumbent on the whole industry, whether you're, you know, a user, a practitioner, or a producer, to make sure you know where your plants come from, at least do your best to work with those cultures to sort of, yeah, impart quality standards and
1: and learn from them what, what they need from as a society. Yes, you answered my next question, which is, you know, the price of success. You know, if we are going where we want to, which is where herbs become, you know, a, a default again, um, then it, uh, there are uh, pressures on the supply, on the environment that produces the herbs and on protecting the communities that produce them. And again, with Impaca, we, we've uh, clearly seen that, Uh, steps can be taken there with the fair wild and the other certification systems um, and with other things like uh, one percent of the planet and taking responsibility for success i think is something that pucker has also taught us and there are many other people in pucker now helping to carry the torch so but it was your original your original dreams which fired us uh, to do this. So you you, you must have had, and uh, presumably in dark moments of the night, when you worry about the impact of your next order on the particular crop or a particular supply, th- there must be quite a big agenda here that we as herbalists need to take on, and which have not been taken on so much, I think, in the past that, uh, through Pucker, you have addressed.
2: Yes, I think there is a, you know, across the world, really, the herbal... Practitioner community has become unfortunately fragmented because it has been uh, not always included in uh, or integrated in medical systems. And so, naturally, herbalists have been um, sort of segmented, if you like, or, or pushed to the edge or marginalized. And I, and I think that's made it difficult for us to align and come together over such things as quality standards, you know, fair trade standards. Um, and I feel extremely optimistic, given the nature and, you know, health crisis we're in at the minute, that herbal practitioners are coming together around the world to address some of these matters. In a way, you could set up to industry and suppliers to, to do that work. But I, I also think it's incumbent on the the customer, in a way, to demand the standards they want as well. And, you, know, you mentioned at the beginning the Herbal Alliance has been this group of uh, us coming together to bring the different UK organisations together. And yeah, it's been really quite moving actually, having a chance to meet so many people who've dedicated their lives to uh, natural medicine and helping uh, members of their society's health thrive. So many amazing people. And uh, to feel this potential of what could. What could come out of an alignment, really, of thinking? Because, of course, there are you know within all groups of people there is diversity of thinking, and uh, there are different cultural approaches in Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Western uh, Western herbalism. So, I I feel that there is an urgent need for herbal communities around the world, America, Australia, everywhere, to address the climate crisis, and I I, I think we need to be addressing the biodiversity issues we need to be ultimately from a selfish point of view you know the climate crisis is going to affect and impact the quality of herbs and their availability and we need to be on the front foot of addressing that supply for the future because you know growing regions are changing uh, huge pressure on as I've already mentioned on on wild populations and the only way to ensure that we have a reliable future that we can be you're proud of is to engage with where each and every species we're using in our clinic is coming from and you know and that might be difficult to find out immediately but the the way to start is to do it you know and, I, and i've got that experience from pucker because i i know that we didn't know where every single herb came from when we uh when we started but we we certainly do uh now in that sense you know we we track that down over time and we we work with with people to
1: create that that lineage if you like. So you're really calling out to all those who want to pursue a herbal path that it's not just a question of finding the right herb to give to your patient it's a question of how you embed that in with your responsibilities and your um, appreciation of the wider world need the, the need to be sustainable preferably organic. I do Simon I think it's the same for Every single thing we
2: buy, actually. But in this context, as a herbal practitioner or user of herbs, you have a choice and you can choose where you buy things from and, and you can drive that change in the marketplace through your, you know, the pound is a powerful political tool. And I, I think that's how it should be used, really. If you if you can use, you know, if, if that's possible to use it that way. And... We've got a lot to do. Let's face it, you know, we can't just sit on our laurels. It's lovely that Pucker's all organic and that there's some nice organic tea here and there. You know, there's a lot to be done. And I, I don't think any of us can sit back on our,
1: on our laurels to suggest any other way. Certainly no one can accuse you of sitting on your laurels. What lessons have we learned? What perhaps might, could we have done better or would we do better if we had it again? What are the things we need to really focus on work-wise as a community uh, in the next five or ten years? Where would you apply the lessons to what we do next? I mean, hindsight's a great thing to have, isn't
2: it? And we do have it. So looking back over history and perhaps how... Herbalism has got marginalized under the pressure of a more sort of pharmaceutical, diagnostic-based medicine. Um, alignment, I'd say, is the first thing. You know, stick together, that we share more uh, than we differ on, basically. And so, so find alignment that way. Focus on practitioner standards and clinical standards, although they are very high already, I'd say, through all the individual colleges that uh, accredit and train find more universal alignment again there drive awareness of quality in practice a bit more as in the ingredients and the 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 products i think that would be a a great enhancement and so perhaps there's a greater need to train in more um, pharmacogeny and uh, herbal science in that sense that sort of identification and those quality issues and i think we need to find a way to help people feel more empowered. Ultimately, you know, the ultimate gift of herbalism is that it uses, you know, natural tendencies that are very accessible to people. So how can we capitalise on our, you know, the innate tendency of herbalists to be teachers? You know, spending an hour with a client is really about um, exploring their life story and their life story in terms of their you know what has led to good health with them and what has led to poor health so you know what are the what are the resistors to their progress and what are the accelerators of it and you you explore that through you know a really very personal and you know intimate conversation whether you're taking pulses or taking tongues or, or whatever it might be you are um in a in a very personal conversation
1: so it's a sort of you know, we we're, we're in the business of empowerment aren't we so It's isn't part of what we need to do to promulgate that message. uh, That if you want to take charge of your health, there are ways that have been adopted for millennia. Uh, There are remedies which have been used for millennia, and they're the same. So, what? How do we? How do we get that message? How do we articulate? How do You know, apart from spending squidillions on campaigns. is there a way we can pick yes. up the message i think it is
2: you know as in all aspects of change it's quite nuanced and it's multidimensional and so i think you know i'm a big believer in you know looking at where are the blockages it's like a herbal diagnosis simon you know look at where the you know where are the fundamental problems that we've got where is the lack of trust lack of belief um, where do we need to meet the current medical paradigm, for example, you know, where is the more evidence needed from us? Where is the more safety guidance? You know, what are the concerns of medical regulators? But, you know, how can we tell a better story about our efficacy as well? How can we really uh, engage in this? You know, it is naturally complex herbalism, you know, is representing all of nature. It is is not something that can be done in an elevator pitch. It It is a detailed approach to the wonderful dynamic of health. And so, how can we do a better job as a herbal community of telling that story through the media um through our clients and and how can we really bring about that change that we want you know that that's really that's really pushing pushing at the door if you like you know there is a you could say that it's you know there is a there is a powerful current medical paradigm isn't there that is based on more on you know acute treatment and diagnostics rather than a personalized preventative approach, you know, both are needed. Uh, you know, I think we need to work to a more integrated plan in the future, where herbalism, uh, counselling, diet, exercise are all included. And and for, not just because I'm a herbalist, and I love uh, the, 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 the principles and practice of herbalism, but herbalism really does include all those pieces, so, you know, herbalists are nutritionists, herbalists are coaches and counsellors, herbalists are lifestyle guides and they are exercise therapists and on top of that they know the the the, some of the most powerful plants in nature and how to combine them to help you optimize your health so really is that good you know it
1: really is that good it takes us all the way back to the original ayurvedic principles isn't it that you know it's it, there. there isn't just one path there isn't one therapy there isn't one way to health um and in a sense what i'm hearing you say is is that uh for the herbal world to pers- to prosper and progress we should be linking ourselves to those who work in exercise in nature you know there's a lot of work on how important green spaces are and blue walks and all the rest of it that seems to be a world that you're suggesting we should all attach to and become part of so it's a bigger integration Uh, you know first we integrate and and find the voice for the herbal world but it sounds that what you're saying is that you know there is a bigger calling where we uh, we, we look uh, uh, over our parapet and see what other people are doing in that wider nature-based healing. Absolutely.
2: I, I love that. You're so right. It really is about um, partnerships, networks. You know, we've reached that time in history where it's all about a mycelial relationship in a way, where through working together, we can empower and educate And engage, and I I, I couldn't agree with you more that we we need to do a bit of navel gazing to reflect on where we've got to. But don't spend too long doing that. Let's you know, we need to get out there and share share the wonder that is that is herbalism and, and stand up with confidence and with clarity and with with compassion, really, that there is a lot of care that can be delivered through herbalism in a in a sustainable and an affordable and a practical
1: way. Well, Sebastian, as as we said at the beginning, you have translated many of these ideas into reality and have provided us with with, with a great lesson in life and going forward and an inspiration to what we might do. So thank you so much for sharing this time with us and your thoughts in this podcast, and we'll look forward to hearing more. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. Great to be with
0: you. You've been listening to The Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for Herbal Health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more Herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. or will learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. And we'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining